0: I, because I am um, exploring um, and looking at becoming a Baptist minister, um, I'm the, whole, the fact that I'm doing a four-part series is part of that um, kind of process, I guess. Um, it was something that Neil and I discussed and thought it would be helpful for me to do rather than just doing a one-off sermon here and there um, on kind of subjects of my choice. Um, Neil selected the theme, said four weeks, told me when it was, Um, And so I was kind of left with, uh, okay, I've got to think about this and prepare this. Um, And one of the things that therefore, um, not to kind of um, get any glory from it, um, because hopefully um, you're focusing on God and not on me, um, but so that I can hopefully improve my preaching style um, and all those sorts of things, um, I have got some lovely little booklets, some sermon evaluation forms, which I have borrowed. Um, borrowed um, from um, Calvin Theological Seminary. Um, I found a couple on Google, as this one seemed reasonable. Um, and it's a very straightforward form to fill in, to kind of give me some feedback. They are over there, on the edge of the stage. I've left them there. You, can either, you could go and grab one now and do it during the service, um, if you wanted to, or you'd need some paper to make some doodles on. Um, but actually, if you wanted to take one at the end of today, um, some people have very kindly done it each week, Um, Some people have elected for just doing one at the end of the whole series and some people won't do it at all. Um, If you'd rather not use this, feel free to email me or just speak to me. But it's really helpful for me to get some feedback so that I can hopefully improve. Um, And for those of you who don't like writing, um, there is a little bit to write, but it's kind of, how how did Rich do one to five? Uh, And so you just have to circle numbers. So it's not too tricky, um, but I'd really appreciate that. Um, So... On to number four of four. Now, I'm slightly torn this evening um, because I've got some notes on the things that I was going to say and probably still will. Um, but as we were, as I've kind of arrived at church and we were praying um, just before the, the sermon, there's a few other things that have come to mind I thought, oh, maybe I should say them. So I've now got that kind of thing where I'm torn as to how much I follow my notes and how much I go with the thoughts that are currently in my mind. So I'm going to start on my notes, and then might do a kneel, um, and go on a tangent, and then hopefully come back. But there are no PowerPoints, so I haven't got a kind of indicated Tim that I'm now off slide or anything like that. So you hopefully won't notice. But there we go. So, just to review the last few weeks, for those of you who have not been here, or those of you who have forgotten, um, I've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount, so uh, Matthew um, 5, um, verse 1, all the way through um, to the end of chapter 7. And I haven't done as I could have done and take any number of the, the, the um, kind of verses from those chapters and preached on individual sections. Um, and I've done a fair amount of reading um, and still don't feel I've read enough, um, which is why I need to go to college to train. Um, but there we go. But I could have chosen, for example, to do a sermon on prayer and one on fasting and one on not murdering. Um, but I've elected to look at the whole of the Sermon on the Mount um, as a whole. Um, and um, so hopefully it makes some sort of sense by the time you get to the end, but hopefully it makes sense um, as individual um, standalone sermons as well. The Sermon on the Mount is about discipleship um, and... Um, One of the things that I guess I've kind of emphasised and made a point of um, from kind of the early sermons is the fact that Matthew puts this at the start of his Gospel. Uh, He doesn't put it at the end after the disciples have learnt everything and then goes, right, what you need to know about is this or what you should have picked up over the past few years. He puts this stuff right at the start and says, um, uh, well, a whole variety of things, from how to pray and fasting um, to not judging others and not storing up treasures in heaven and being like the wise builder, not the foolish builder. And if you've missed some of that, you can go back and you can listen again, or you can read it for yourself, because it's all there. Matthew's written it down for us. It's brilliant. That's what's great about the Bible. We've got it all there. I just get to expand on it a little bit, perhaps, um, and share um, some of the thoughts that I have, um, and maybe a few of the thoughts of others who I've read about. But we come this evening to the bit that I for me has been I don't know if it's the full essence of what the message is about but it is for me this is the bit that as I've read it endlessly it feels over the last kind of couple of months these are the verses that really stand out for me ask and it will be given to you seek and you will find knock and the door will be open to you basically look to God in a nutshell look to God seek Jesus and in the song that we're going to sing in a little while seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you all of this other stuff the how we do it how do you not worry as we looked at kind of a couple of weeks ago I think it was in the verse that says do not worry well that's easier said than done don't worry well I don't know about you but I sometimes worry. That just happens. I don't feel I can help it. It's not like a choice thing. I worry. So when you're kind of told by Jesus, don't worry, you think, well, how am I supposed to do that? You do that by first seeking God and seeking after Jesus. Now, I read a book um, a few years ago now. It was when I was at university. It was a book called The God Chasers. Some of you may have read it. Um, it was one It was one of those books as I read it I got really excited because it was all about chasing after God and, and as you chased after God all these amazing things were going to happen and it was brilliant and it was fairly well written from my memory but I was a student at the time so anything's possible um, and then there was a follow-up book called The God Catchers and now in fact you can buy hats and t-shirts and you can buy God Catchers and God Chasers just about everything and The God Catchers for me wasn't as good a book I'll be honest, God Chases, very exciting, God Catches, didn't really do it for me. But there was a story at the start, and I think it was at the start of the God Catches, by the author, um, and it was about a game of hide and seek. It was something that he'd noticed about um, playing hide and seek with his children. And so um, I was remembering that as I was reading this. Now, if you play hide and seek, well it starts with babies, doesn't it? We play peekaboo. Um, And you kind of go, can you see me? No, you can't see me. Oh! And it's all very exciting, but you don't really hide very well, do you? You, You've got the baby there, and you kind of cover your face up with your hands or whatever might be available, and you go, da! They know where you are. It's pretty easy to find you. And then as a child gets older, um, and you maybe have toddlers or kind of smaller people, Amy and I have got all this to look forward to. Hide and seek involves, I don't know standing behind the door with your feet sticking out so that they know exactly where you are but they count to ten or whatever number they can count to and eventually they come looking for you but it's pretty easy and then they go and hide and you know exactly where they are because they've kind of hidden behind a curtain if they've really properly hidden but quite likely they've just kind of gone I'm down beside the sofa and they're going I'm down beside the sofa can you hear and they're telling you where they are but you pretend they're in the oven and under the sofa and in all sorts of places they could possibly not be and eventually you go oh there you are oh, goodness me wow and then you hide again and possibly if they can't find you because you've made it too difficult because your feet don't show from in front of the door They start to get a little bit panicked. (laughs) Where are you? And you say, I'm here. And they come out. Oh, you come out. And then as they get older, the hiding gets more difficult. The seeking becomes a bit more of a challenge. Now, I was playing hide and seek, it has to be said, a few weeks ago with some teenagers. I work at the children's hospice um, just down the road as a youth worker, and um, we run groups. One of them is for um, the siblings of the young people who come and use the hospice for care. Um, And so we have one of our evenings, and we decided that we would play hide-and-seek in the hospice because we were the only people there. And we spent half an hour trying to find one of the members of staff. They had hidden so well. We were so impressed. And we were calling out. You know, we did the initial thing of, like, we're going to run around and try and find them. And if you find them, then yes, you found them. Actually, I think we were playing sardines. But um, same sort of principle. And he thought, yes, I'm going to find this person. I'm going to be the first person to find them. I'm going to do it so well. It's brilliant. And then as time went on, and we were all looking for this one person, and we we're going, have you seen him? I can't see him then we started to do it together and then we started to go no, we've finished now we're not playing anymore and they still didn't come out where are you? Um, and eventually we did find them um, and they had done a pretty good job of hiding I was very impressed and when I read the book The God Catches what the author of the book was saying, was this. When you're young, your parents hide from you, but it's quite easy to find them. And as you get older, because you get a bit cleverer and a bit wiser, actually they make it a bit more difficult. So perhaps, if God is the Father, then it's possible that if at some point in your experience of God, early on in your Christian life, you asked, or you knocked, or you sought after him, actually, finding God was relatively straightforward. Relatively. And then, as you've grown in your faith, you understand more of what the Bible says, you've been coming to church for a little bit longer, and you try doing those things that you used to do, But God seems a bit further away. He doesn't answer in the same way that he used to. It takes a bit more effort to try and find him. Perhaps it's not because he's mean. It's because he's making it a little bit more difficult for us. Because as we are disciples and we grow, actually we don't need to be spoon-fed anymore. We need to learn to do things in a different way and to grow. Now, um, for those of you um, who have been to any number of training that they do um, in workplaces, um, about what it means to be in a team um, and things like that, you may have come across the four stages of competence. Has anyone come across the four stages of competence before? It's got various other names and I believe it's attributed to um, Maslow who is also of Maslow's hierarchy of need, um, fame. And the four stages of competency are this. First of all, unconscious, incompetent. Basically, you don't know that you need to know something, and you don't know how to do it. Which is fair enough. So, um, I can't even think of an example, something that I needed to once know, that I didn't know, um, and I now know. But... Perhaps, as a parent, I'm going to discover there are things that my child needs to know that they don't yet know that they're going to need to know. They don't know because they are currently in their mother's womb that one day they're going to need to know how to use a knife and fork. That, at some point, is going to become part of what they probably need to know, need to know, to kind of function in our society. So, at the moment, they have no idea that they need to know that. Then there comes to the conscious incompetence. I like a challenge when I'm preaching, so you can actually hear me. Luckily, we can like turn it up and stuff. Um, conscious incompetence. At some point, they will know, because Amy and I will tell them, our children, that they need to learn how to use a knife and fork. So, they will be aware that they need to do this, but they will be unable to, because they're kind of ability will be that they can't. It's just too tricky. Knife forks. When I can use my hand, why would I stop? And so there's the point with in any individual or within a team that you're aware that you need to do something but you cannot do it. Then there comes a bit where it's conscious competence, where you know you need to do it, you know how to do it, and you can do it but you have to think about it and concentrate. So in the example of... Um, the child that Amy and I will soon have, they will know how to use a knife and fork, but it will take some concentration to do it, and there might be some times of frustration where they give up on it and go to using their hands again. But generally, so long as they concentrate, they'll be okay, and they'll probably start by not being able to use the knife and the fork together, and some, one of us will cut up their food for them, and they will eat, and eventually they'll get to the point where they can do it themselves, just as there are any number of things that we might think of like that. And then it will get to the point where they get to the point of unconscious competence, where it becomes second nature, then how do you use a knife and fork? I don't even think about it now, I just pick them up and I get on with it. I remember being in uh, America a few years ago and uh, we had ribs came to the table, we were out for a family meal with the family that I stayed with and it was kind of like grandparents and everyone, big, we were in a nice golf club type place and ribs came out and I got my knife and fork and I ate ribs with a knife and fork. That just came second nature, That's what you do. I was being watched by the entire family in a kind of, how do you do that? That's amazing. Because they were all just like quite happy. I would never even consider in a restaurant, especially at a golf club, picking up ribs and using my fingers. How inappropriate. I'd probably do it now. Um, Depends where I was. But it was drilled into me that you use a knife and fork and so it becomes second nature. Now, I've seen that Used elsewhere. I was going to draw it up, but I don't know if I will, um, where it's been kind of translated into what's the Christian version of that? Um, and um, a guy called Mike Breen, who used to be um, the pastor of St Thomas's Church um, in Sheffield, um, he was looking at learning styles and how we learn and how um, actually we use visuals quite a lot. And so he was looking at a system of how do you kind of explain discipleship to somebody but make it really easy to understand. And so came up with this thing of using shapes and shapes for all sorts of different things. And one of them is the square. And in the square, what he says is that when you maybe first come to faith and if you were to read through the stories in the Gospels of the disciples at the start, they are quite enthusiastic about a lot of stuff, but they're fairly incompetent at a variety of things. So Jesus takes the approach where he's quite directive with them, and he says, this is what I want you to do, and this is how you need to do it. And thankfully through the Gospels, um, much like me, they mess up a little bit. And they don't always get it right, and Jesus has to tell them that they're wrong. And then as you kind of succeed in that area, you come to the, the second stage of discipleship, where it's actually, you're still not very competent, and actually you've lost your initial enthusiasm, because things have got a bit tough, but you're still not really sure what you're doing. And therefore, the approach that is required is maybe a bit of a coaching approach, where it's a bit more supportive, get alongside and do things with the person you're discipling. And then you grow as a Christian, you grow in faith, and in terms of discipleship, you grow as a disciple, you've grown both in your ability, but also in your competence to do something. And you see that change, and Jesus kind of starts to have much more open discussion With the disciples about things. And then, kind of, the last stage is that you are competent and confident, you are a disciple, brilliant, and there's less need, kind of, for the direction coming from the person that's been your disciple. So, if we were to take, we could take Christianity Explored, for example. At the start of Christianity Explored, it was kind of very much spoon feeding the Gospel, and what Christianity is all about. And then, as that finished, we started to have a discipleship group where there was a bit more open discussion and we were looking at some stuff a bit more in-depth. And now that group is going on and there's now a house group. I don't know if it started yet, it's starting this week, next week? This week, a house group starting, which is fantastic. And different people are at different places on their journey of faith. So as Christians, as followers of Christ, we grow. We should be growing. If we're still in the same place we were a few years ago, then perhaps there's a bit of an issue. And it was interesting what John was saying about how he was coming to church and actually he recognised that he wasn't as involved and giving as much or doing as much or following Christ in the ways that perhaps he could have been. And things have changed. And John is not in the same place now that he was in 2001. John's not in the same place as he was probably a year ago. Things have changed. Our faith changes. And so actually the way that we relate to God changes. The way that my child relates to me as it grows older will change. The way that I relate to my dad has changed. I no longer take him the really rubbish covering in that I used to do where it didn't quite go in the line and go, look, I just don't do that anymore. It would probably be a little bit strange if I did. Because I've grown as a person. Our relationship has grown. And so, actually, when Jesus says here, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open to you, it will. That's a promise. But sometimes if God feels a little bit far away, which I know he sometimes does, perhaps, just perhaps, it's because... He's playing that game of hide-and-seek. And And he's hiding a little bit harder than he used to. Because actually you're growing. And he's seen that you're growing and he knows that you can cope with things that you didn't want to be able to cope with. So how do we ask, seek and knock? Well, that's kind of spout out for us throughout the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. We can go back and we can look um, at Matthew Six. In verse 5, Jesus talks to us about prayer. And it's interesting because he talks about prayer and he doesn't say just pray anywhere. Do it. Don't do it so that everyone can see. That's what he says go into your room quietly and pray. And he doesn't say ask to start with. It's the prayer we get is our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Praise God first. Seek God first. And seek his will. And then we get to the next bit where it's and give us today our daily bread. But before asking, seek God. And so we then come to the last part of this chapter, the wise and foolish builders. Are you a wise or a foolish builder? Am I a wise or foolish builder? What Jesus says here is, you've heard all this, you can either follow this, or at least attempt to, and you can... Be a disciple of Christ and therefore have your foundations on firm, solid ground, or you can ignore it. And the consequences are that the house will tumble down. I was tempted to have the song and we'd all do the actions, um, but I thought probably it would distract people from the message. Now what this doesn't say is if you follow Christ and make a mistake and mess up then that's it for you. Foolishness, gutted, your house has fallen down. I believe this says you've got a choice. Either follow Christ because you've heard about what he has done for you. He has died on the cross and he offers you forgiveness and he says, come, follow me. And you can accept that and therefore try and live according to the way that Jesus requires us to live. Not out of some mean way of going, I'm going to make you do this, that and the other, but because he loves us and knows that that is best for us. Or we can say, no, I don't want to do that. And perhaps you're in a place this evening where you go, actually, I've stopped looking at Christ. I've i realised that I've been caught up by looking at the world. I've seen the economic crisis and my job is at risk. And I'm thinking, oh goodness me, what am I going to do? or there's something else going on in your life and you've just got a bit distracted. Then, now's a pretty good time to turn back to God and say, actually, I want to stop worrying or I want to stop judging others or I want to learn how to pray. I want to know how to seek you. Then, now's a good time to do that. And there will be a chance um, at the end to to pray uh, with somebody if you would like to. The key message, I believe, of the Sermon on the Mount is about seeking God first. It's about living for the glory of God, which, as Paul writes, is living for the glory of Christ crucified. We do this through following the teachings of Jesus, which are the foundations at the start, not the roof on the top or the paint on the walls. These are the foundations. talks about prayer and fasting, I don't know about you. I struggle with both, if I'm honest. struggle with fasting more because it's not something we do hugely within our culture. And it's interesting that it talks about prayer and it talks about fasting and then it talks about giving. And one of the things I think I've found in my Christian life is if I focus on Christ, then I want to give. But also if I give, I'm able to focus on Christ more. And so there's kind of a learning through doing for me. Now the thing that I wasn't sure about sharing as I was coming in was about this. Over the last few years I think it's probably years now I've been exploring practice ministry and Amy has been alongside me for that. And I would say I need to ask for forgiveness because I've read the Sermon on the Mount and it says do things secretly and it says don't worry. And actually, it's been an interesting time and we've had different bits of advice from different people along the way. Um, And actually, we didn't start off by exploring Baptist ministry, we just started off by exploring ministry. Because I'm a Christian, first and foremost. The Baptist bit is because actually having done some study, the theology of the Baptists works best for me. I've compared it with some of the others and I struggle with some other things. But there's some things of other denominations that I appreciate that as Baptists we don't tend to focus on. so That's fine. But one of the things that was said to me as I've explored ministry and kind of gone, oh OK, Baptist ministry, is do you go with a church denomination that's kind of a good structure, like Anglicans or Baptists, Methodists? There's a good pension. I don't care. What on earth would I care that there's a good pension? I should care that I'm following Christ. And he's going to provide for all my needs from his riches in glory. And I got a bit off course because I was looking at some of the benefits, I guess. And I've arrived here today and I'm absolutely shattered, I'm completely worn out. And various people have said to me all week, but you look really tired. And I am, I'm absolutely worn out. And one of the reasons, I guess, for that is not solely But what I need to do is I need to put, as we all do, God first, Amy and family second, church and work and everything else, somewhere down in the road. And I've done things the other way around. And church and work stuff have taken over because that sometimes happens in life and i've spent less time with amy than i would have liked that she would have liked and i've spent less time with god than we would have liked and so i know that i need to ask for forgiveness and it's been interesting as we've been doing this journey one of the bits of one of the things we've needed to do is kind of i guess make ourselves a bit more public in the church and so that people are aware of who amy and i are and you're not just sending off some unknown folk And that's kind of interesting as well because we're told to pray and fast quietly and give quietly and kind of don't expect any kind of reward from it. So there's been a, been a bit of a tug and a pull in different directions for us and I'm not sure that we have always got that right. But what I do know is that Christ loves me regardless and thankfully Christ will forgive me. Now hopefully I will learn from this and it's a good lesson to learn now rather than when I'm actually the minister of a church somewhere. But I've got a feeling I'm going to need to be reminded of it again and again and again and again. And I hope that I get to the point where it's people tell me before they say, Rich, you look really tired. They actually say, Rich, stop now because you're going to look really tired in a few weeks' time. And I asked if you would hold me accountable to that last week and so I repeat that plea But perhaps you, this evening, have lost your way a little bit and maybe you feel like you're a bit burnt out or you're worried about something. Then, tonight's a good night to say, God, I want to seek you first. I want to put you first and everything else will fall into place afterwards.